This is the Sound the Foghorn Podcast. And shoved by Hayda. Spurgeon's in. Delays. Shoots one. He scores! Jared Spurgeon has tied it. Your number one podcast for the Minnesota Wild. Proud to select with the ninth pick in the 2020 draft from the Ottawa 67s of the OHL, Marco Rossi. Covering their prospects, the NHL, AHL, news, notes, and much more. Fiala's in for Minnesota. Fiala cuts to the middle. Wait, scores! Greenway in. Saved by Miska. Rebound. Erickson. They score! Jordan Greenway beats Miska. And poked away Kaprizov. In for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill. Now, here are your hosts. Brett Marshall, Zeke Boyak. And Justin Buck. Hello, and welcome in to Sound the Foghorn. Brett Marshall, joined as always by my friends Zeke Boyat and Justin Baki. Guys, unfortunately, uh, well, maybe kind of unfortunately, we're recording tonight, but um, in a perfect world, the Wild would probably be in the second period of their game against the Avs, but COVID has postponed that. Uh, how does that make you feel right now, uh, Justin, you first? Um, in a time where we're kind of looking for a uh, bit of normalcy, it's kind of tough, but, you know, they'll, they'll be playing again pretty soon, and honestly, this kind of gives me a moment to kind of just maybe do some things that were put on the back burner. And I think uh, that was said on the Brave the Wild show too. It's just kind of doing things that maybe I wouldn't be doing, you know, if the Wild were playing. That's a fair point. Zeke, what about you, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, obviously it, it sucks. Uh, you know, nowadays uh, not playing any kind of hockey this year or anything like that. There's not a whole lot to, for me to do or that I can do. And, you know, the games on at night are usually kind of one of the, things I've looked forward to but uh you know it's fine as long as everyone uh, is healthy and is, is fine in a couple of weeks they'll be back and playing again hopefully with you know a little bit safer uh you know protocols and all that like we'll get into but uh like like you guys said too it sucks but uh, uh at least we get to you know talk hockey here tonight and have uh, plenty of things to you know think about here too yeah and with no hockey in the next uh four games here you have absolutely zero excuses not to be listening to our show because we know you have the time now. So uh, expecting to see listens go up in the next couple of days. But all joking aside, uh, we will get to COVID a little bit later on in the show. But trying to get into more of a routine and what to expect of this show, we are going to turn the table over to Justin uh, for our weekly prospect update. Justin, the floor is yours, man. All right. It's not a big one this week. Well, I mean, I guess it's kind of decent, but um, there haven't been a whole lot of players playing since the last show, like, a ton. But uh, one player that I really want to bring up is Philip Lindbergh. He missed 11 games, you know, in the beginning of the season. I'm not sure why. I never – I haven't really looked into it. But he continues – he's made four starts in a row, and he continues to look good. Uh, last weekend, he picked up his first two wins of the season. He's now 2-1-3 and three on the season with a 1.5 goals against average. Um, and, you know, he just – his numbers are really good. and it. it you know, 
kind of just going off Scott Wheeler's thing, he, it sounds like he'll be the starter next year after Matt Murray graduates, which we'll really get to see him shine and, and you know, get some more consistent starts. Um, another thing that happened is uh, BC played the other day. They won 6-2, to two and our Minnesota Wild, um, Boston, Col- Boston College Wild, really played a huge part in it. Um, Nestorinko, McBain, and Marshall Warren each picked up a goal and assist. Boldy picked up an assist. Uh, so, you know, they played a huge part in that. And Nestorinko's really c- continuing his strong freshman season. He's really starting to fill out. And, you know, it looks like we're really starting to touch the surface with him. And then yeah, it could be a nice little uh, steal late in the draft. Yeah. And continues uh, to, to project upward here. Yeah, he had a pretty decent BCL, BCHL season last year. And he's just kind of really taken off at Boston College, which is good to see. And then uh, something uh, Minnesota Wild fans, all of us can do and should do, go online and vote for Boldy or and or Nick Sweeney for the Hobie Baker Award. They're both up for the award, and you can go online right now and vote for them. If you want to throw a vote for Dryden McKay, too, I mean, feel free. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, you can vote for your favorites, but if you want to vote for Wild Prospects, then yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of Bulldogs that can... <laughs> Uh, last I checked, the leader, at least by fan voting, which I don't think really matters, it's just who the fans think. Yeah. yeah. Jack LaFontaine of the Gophers was yeah. like overwhelmingly uh, leading. I think he had like 14% of the votes. And then Boldy was actually in second, I think, with like four, uh, like 4.4. So it was like a 10% <laughs> yeah. vote lead. It was like it was basically LaFontaine, huge gap. And then there was just a chunk of everyone else that had been uh, in the running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's about how it was last time I looked. I think it was maybe 20% Fontaine when I looked, but I, I guess more people have started voting and not voting for Fontaine. <laughs> Although it seems like Gophers fans are flooding it, it looks like. Um, another thing is, is kind of more along the lines of a young player, Kaprizov. He is now the, the best rookie. He has the best rookie debut in our history. Nine points in 11 games, we all know. And then, you know, Koivu did it in 14 games, and then Gabrick and Eck did it in 17. So that's kind of cool to see the ad advertise, you know, player. Um, just a couple more things we'll touch on, but I'll just mention is, you know, the Wild have the number eight prospect pool, according to Scott Wheeler of the Athletic. We'll touch on that later. And then the Iowa Wild start their season tomorrow against the Texas Stars. So that's just another thing we'll kind of talk about during the show here. Yeah, lots of kind of odds and ends that we'll just kind of be discussing today. No, nothing like there's some big news pieces, but it's a lot of it scattered all around, not focused on one thing. I did just look. Uh, Cole Caulfield is now uh, the the Hobie Baker leader, which is probably a pretty fair leader at sixteen percent. La Fontaine is second, nine point six. Uh, VT Yetnin of Saint Cloud State is at five percent. I'm assuming. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base has driven his percentage up. And then uh, Matt Boldy is currently, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, sixth, at uh, 3.2%. So, um, yeah, and then Sweeney down at 1.9. And I'm looking for Dryden McKay. Still looking. I feel like he wasn't on there last time I looked somehow. Still looking. But... Still looking. I don't know why I wouldn't be on there. I know he... uh, their well... conference isn't as tough, but his numbers are insane. <laughs> I mean, it's got to just be national exposure, really, yeah. at this point. I mean, yeah, because passing even last year, like, a... so you can vote for him, but he's not even showing up in the voting results. So, <laughs> oh, um, 
<laughs> my hopes for Dryden McKay as uh, Toby Baker winner don't look at this time. But hey, we gave him the we gave him some recognition on the show. Uh, I think that was last week. So uh, do, doing what I can at least. So yeah, uh, yeah. You Justin, you did touch on uh, Scott Wheeler's uh, rankings. The Wild did come in at eighth, which I believe on this show we said if Kaprizov wasn't included, we guessed seventh. So pretty solid guess. Yeah, uh, on our part. Um, mm-hmm. but seventh is still really good. And of course we're adding, uh, hopefully to that pool this year, uh, with two first round picks, uh, for sure. One second. Do we have a third in there is like, I yeah, think we, we have, have like uh, five picks in the first three rounds or something like that. So a, a full chamber of bullets for, uh, for Garen and, and bracket to really make a splash here. And we'll see if they can add to that, um, as well, and we'll talk uh, trade deadline and expansion and how they might be able to add to that prospect pool uh, toward the end of the show. So that's something else to look forward to. Um, but again, uh, Scott Wheeler will be joining us on February 18th. So I believe that's two weeks from today. Yep, two mm-hmm. weeks from today, he'll be joining uh, the show to talk to me and Justin and Zeke uh, about his prospect rankings. We'll, we'll ask him some questions about prospects, um, get his, his you know more in-depth, maybe the one he went in the article, and he'll also be uh, taking your questions as well. So if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, go to Scott Wheeler's uh, Twitter page, check out, read it out. It's on The Athletic. It's wonderful. Really deep dive into, I believe he did 20 wild prospects and then uh, two honorable mentions thrown in there as well. So lots of information, uh, probably more than we could ever give. So go ahead and check that out and then look forward to that show with uh, Scott here in, in two weeks. And then the last bit of prospect news is we talked a little bit about Marco Rossi last week, speculated on what... Um, he might be dealing with, and it looks like basically, uh, basically it was confirmed that he's having some sort of cardiovascular issue related to COVID. Um, he's back in uh, Austria now, um, and will be there for at least six weeks before being reevaluated. And unfortunately, he will not play this season. Big sad face for us here on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. it sucks. Yeah. But yeah. I'll, but uh, the good news of that is. Um, it's not expected to have a long-term impact um, physically on Rossi that he should make a full recovery. But I think that the, the big bit of news here, I think more than anything else, um, and as Michael Russo has alluded to this a few times, is that Rossi's projection curve probably slows down pretty significantly now because he won't. by the time he comes into training camp next year, it'll be almost, I think, a year and a half since he's basically played a competitive game of hockey. And no matter how much you work out and how well you recover, you definitely have to think that that affects oh, yeah. you know, your growth and development a little bit. So something to watch. Not to say I don't think Rossi's still going to be an amazing player. We might just not see that impact maybe as soon as we had hoped originally, but right. still very optimistic uh, for in his projection. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, really like uh, Justin said last, uh, last show, uh, we waited five years for Kaprizov. We can wait another year or two for him. And if it's, uh, like, like Brett just said, if it's another you know, maybe season or so before he, you know, starts to reach what he's capable of, uh, you know, that's perfectly fine, you know, as long as he just can be, uh, like we all talked about, uh, fully healthy here, uh, hopefully next season. Right. Yeah. We just want him healthy first and foremost. You know, we do have time on our side with him. He is only 19 and it, you know, just from even the, the tweet he put out and you know, what you read, he's taking it like a professional and taking it how you want to see, um, a young kid take something like news like this and, you know, I truly believe in the end it'll make him better. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, we all know he's a gym rat. So I, I think in the end he'll be just fine. No impact on the thighs. No, definitely not. <laughs> thighs for days. 
<laughs> All right. So that's our prospect update for this week. Uh, again, make sure you check out Scott's article here in the next two weeks and uh, prepare your questions. We'll send that tweet out probably Monday of that week where you can start getting those questions in and we'll, we won't get to all of them, but we'll try to maybe look for common ones and, and sort those through and make sure we can do what we can in the half hour. We're going to have with Scott uh, next Thursday or excuse me, two Thursdays from now. All right, moving on here. Uh, next up, I'm going to give uh, in this week's few minutes of analytics, I'm going to talk about goals saved above expected. It's our first uh, advanced stat in the, in uh, within goalies. So, uh, this basically expands on last week's uh, stat, which was expected goals. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, the most simplest way is, um, you know, in the game, a team nets a total number of expected goals, and goal save above expected is you take the expected goals, subtract it from the goal scored in the game, and boom, there's your uh, expect goal saves above expected. So uh, a little bit longer version. This is from Oscar Elieff of Last Word on Sports. I thought he put a really good... Um, everyday fan explanation of this. He says, it evaluates how many goals a goalie saved above what he was expected to based on the shot quality he faced. The formula is simply expected goals minus goals against. Uh, Unlike goals saved above average, uh, goals saved above expected accounts for the quality of shots a goaltender faces and levels the playing fields for goalies on good defensive teams and bad defensive teams. Uh, This is why it appears to be one of the best metrics for goaltenders. So typically the baseline for this uh, is zero, and that goes for basically on a game-to-game basis. If your goal saved above expected is around zero, I usually say negative five to a half because you can't have a half of a goal. Mm-hmm. The goalie just did his job um, that game. For wild goaltenders this season, uh, the best game we've had so far is from Kapil Kakinen on January 2nd against the Sharks when he came in relief of Cam Talbot, stopping 17 of 17 shots. Uh, finished with a goals save above expected of 0.91, um, which is what the expected goals the Sharks had uh, were when he came into the game. And then goal save above expected accumulates over the seasons, just like points. So if you have 0.5 one game and negative 0.2 the next game, your total on the season would be 0.3. Um, currently, Kakinen has a goal save above expected of negative 3.22, meaning he saved roughly three goals less than what he's expected. Uh, Talbot's is negative 0.3, which even though it's negative, basically mean he's done his job thus far, saving the shots he's supposed to, which we said coming into the season was all we needed of the wild goalies. Mm-hmm. Um, to put in a little more perspective, the best single season goals have above expected by a wild goalie was Devin Dubnik in 2014-2015 when he was a Vesna yeah. finalist. He had 10.7 goals hit above expected, <laughs> just 39 Jeez. games played. Uh, on the flip side, the worst single season by a wild goaltender uh, was the 09-010 Nicholas Backstrom, who saved uh, 36.91 under expected oh, uh, 60 games played. Uh, and Dubnik's year last year was second worst at 27.49 in just 30 starts. So pretty rough. Uh, the data only goes back to 2007-2008, so it's possible there was a better season or worse season prior to that, but we don't have data available um, in the Linux community that goes past then. And then bring it to even larger scale here, the best all time. Again, since 2008, Henrik Lundqvist in the 09-010 season had a goal saved above expected of 53. Wow. In 73 Brilliant. games played. The worst all time was Steve Mason in 2011-2012. Uh, negative 44.59 in 46 games played. And then the 09-010 Backstrom was the second worst. 
uh, all time that we have on record. So that's goal state above expected, pretty self-explanatory. I like it as a way just to see, you know, it, it, I think really last year we saw it, it just seemed like, man, Dubnik should have saved that one. And it didn't seem like the Wilds defense was bad. It's just all these pucks just kept like sneaking through Dubnik's five holes and were going in off bad angles and stuff. And I think it, it, it takes kind of the, the luck bit out of it and really looks at, you know, where are the shots coming from? Is he stopping mm-hmm. the ones that he should? And, you know, and, and this can offset sometimes if he gives in a soft one, a goalie gives in a soft one, but then maybe the next period he makes a save that, you know, that 60% of the time was to go in those will offset and he'll be kind of right at zero. And I think that's kind of what we've seen on Talbot so far. So we've, we've seen some, we kind of roll our eyes and go, man, that shouldn't have gone in. But then other times it's like, wow, that was an awesome save. Uh, yeah. Like the one against McKinnon the other night where he uh-huh. just robbed him with the glove. Uh, that was awesome. So yeah. does that kind of make sense? I think that one makes a lot more sense than maybe some of the other ones. Yeah. I, is it? So let me get this right. If it's it's minus, it's good, kind of like golf? Minus is bad. Minus the is more bad. positive, it's better. Okay. Yep. Goal saved above expected. Okay. So expected would be... If you're at zero, you had you did your job. Anything above, you did more than you're expected. Anything under, you did less than what you're expected. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and I think uh, you know the kind of the, the big thing about this kind of stat is that you know a lot of people when they look at goalies to judge their skill, or whatever, they'll just look playing uh, at the goals against average and the save percentage, just kind of like a lot of people with you know just do with the amount of points the guy has. And I think it's a good way to like you just explain to him uh, actually get a handle on how you know a goal is performing instead of just looking at the, the basic stat of you know how many percentage of the shots did he you know like stop in the game or something like that and, and a good example of that i think is andre vasilevsky i don't have the numbers in front of me but his save percentage goals against wins always look really good but when you play mm-hmm. in front of a really good talented team yeah uh, like That's tampa bay true. it can inflate those numbers a little bit Goals say above expected. I think for him, I think he's more league average. Which doesn't say he's a he's not a good goalie. He is. I would still probably oh, yeah. have him top fifteen for sure, probably even top ten. But I don't think he's a Vesna candidate every year like he ends up being. But again, mm-hmm. the, the team in front of you can inflate those numbers or deflate them as well. Um, as uh, I haven't looked at Thomas Grice's numbers, but uh, Detroit goalies seem to just struggle and can't blame yeah. them with the team they have to play against. So. For sure. All right, Zeke, do you have your new segment ready for this week, or are we going to tease that off for maybe one more week? I do have it ready for this All week. All right, awesome. so we were chatting a little bit, and Justin has a prospect update. I have the few minutes of analytics. Zeke now is going to have his own segment uh, this week in Minnesota Wild history. So, Zeke, I'll turn the floor over to you if you want to explain it more and then uh, jump into uh, what you got. Yeah, so uh, like Brett just said, the, this kind of new segment that I'm going to do is This Week in Wild History. Uh, you know, essentially, it's pretty self-explanatory. Every week we're going to go back and try to find a wild moment in the past that was significant in any way, whether it was a trade, signing, game, a certain event in a game that happened, like goal, a special play, whatever, milestone, anything like that. And so we're going to do this, you know, try to do this every week. Uh, this week was a little bit tougher than normal, but I think I did get a good one. And so for this week is actually uh, kind of ironically was on this day uh, last year in 2020, 20, in 2020, sorry, uh, February 4th, 2020, uh, when the Wild played the Chicago Blackhawks at home. It was a 3-2 overtime win for the Wild. Uh, Matt Dumba scored the overtime winner. He kind of, I think, skated in kind of t- top of the crease. His shot kind of ticked off uh, Crawford's glove and kind of floated in over there into the net. And it's significant for in most part because of the fact that uh, before that game, uh, Dumba had gone 33 consecutive games without scoring a goal. You know, because as everyone remember last season, you know, he was shooting the puck a lot. I believe he was either tied or 
had the team lead in shots on goal, even as a defenseman after coming back from his injury. And it was, uh, you know, it was just great to see him get on the board in that game and was, you know, after a long stretch of frustration for a guy who at the beginning of the year uh, in that 2019-20 season who said that he thought he could score 30 goals, it was, uh, you know, a significant moment to just break that uh, 33-goal streak and, uh, you know, makes it even better to be an overtime winner at home against the Chicago Blackhawks. Good stuff. I think I was at that game. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm trying to think back. I'm like looking back to see if I have any mm-hmm. pictures on my camera roll or anything, but I know for sure I watch it because I remember like I'm pretty sure Dumba did like the that was where he did like his guitar celebration. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, as well, I think that was after that goal, but I'm almost sure I was at that game last year, and I just remember being like super pumped mm-hmm. uh, for Dumba, who since then has, has looked a lot better. I thought he was good in the playoffs. Uh, prior to his injury, he was performing as the Wild's best uh, defenseman and offensive creator on the entire team. So really hope – it sounds like his injury is serious. So mm-hmm. hoping that he'll be back this year, but we'll keep our fingers crossed. And we'll talk a little bit more about Dumba here later in the show too uh, for what yeah. uh, expansion and trade deadline yeah. look like, especially now affected uh, by injury. And I will add, now that you said yeah, you might have been at that game, I, I believe I didn't watch the game because I – had a game of my own, a junior gold game, and I believe we got beat like twelve to one. So yeah, yeah tough. That, that that was fairly common that year. But yeah, but, but hey, now anyways, you can anyways a year later. Yeah, anyways, <laughs> yeah, no. Anyways, just you know, uh, I think it was a like we said it was a pretty good moment. And uh, next week uh, for this segment, I think we got a few good options. So uh, look forward to that one for sure. Um, when we get around, once usually the trade deadline, you might have some really interesting. Uh, oh yeah. Some, some, yep. some tricky ones uh, uh, to pick from. Yep. So there you go. We each have our own little individual segment that we'll uh, kick off with every week here before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Uh, again, if you leave, well, we did ask for some feedback uh, this week on uh, the prospect update and also uh, my analytics segment. Uh, please feel free to leave some feedback on uh, This Week in Wild History as well. But it sounds like overall you guys are really enjoying that. So that's great to hear. Uh, we're trying to put out stuff that you guys enjoy. So great to hear that so far. So good. Next up on the docket here, guys, let's talk a little bit about the AHL. The Iowa Wild are set to go uh, this week. Justin, we'll kick it over to you first here. Uh, If you just want to maybe talk a little bit about uh, the roster, some guys looking forward to to watching, and let's just talk a little bit about the Iowa Wild for a little bit. Uh, Just kind of an open discussion, nothing too specific. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, we opened it up against the Texas Stars, and I'm kind of, you know, looking forward to see how they do after they looked like, you know, before this COVID BS kind of hit, that, you know, they looked like they were a real contender for the Calder Cup. And, you know, this year they're they're not going to have, like, Kakanen. They're not going to have Sam Annis or Brennan Mennell. But, uh, you know, maybe not Jerry May. He'll, he'll, he'll probably, if I had to guess, between go between Iowa and Minnesota, depending on injuries and such. But uh, I think uh, they still have a good team. And then, you know, I'm really looking forward to, like, seeing Adam Beckman get some action and, like, Kalen Addison. And then guys that had really good, like, OHL seasons, like Damian Drew, who, you know, he was a 40-goal scorer in the OHL. And, uh, you know, Ladnias coming back from the KHL. Uh, You know, it's just – and then the infamous, you know, Cody McLeod. (laughs) Oh gosh! <laughs> yeah, it's it's just really weird if you kind of read through some of the names. You have you know, Callan Addison, Damon Hunt, Ryan O'Rourke, uh-huh. Adam Beckman, Sean Boudreaux, Connor Duar, Brandon Duheim, Gabriel Dumont, Damian Drew, Ivan Lodnia, and it's like all these really exciting young players. And then just oh yeah, Cody McLeod, he's there too. <laughs> just this, this like long tenured NHL or like goon fighter guy. Yeah. Um, 
We know it well here in Minnesota. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. You know, a, a couple more guys that I'm kind of intrigued by are like players like Mason Shaw and Dmitry Sokolov. Because you see Sokolov show flashes of being able to score, but not really being able to put it together with the conditioning and such. So, you know, maybe, I don't know. I'm still hopeful for him, but I, I don't know. I think his, his clock is ticking pretty quickly here. Yeah, and I think I'm a, the thing with him is that, I, first of all, I believe this is the last year of his entry-level contract, so it's obviously kind of a make-or-break year for him, yeah. and if he doesn't perform this year, he'll probably be you know, off to Russia. But, uh, you know, I think you guys kind of touched that already, but I think the most exciting thing about this is that with the guys like uh, Jerry Mayhew, Luke Johnson, mm-hmm. and uh, other guys up in the taxi squad, there's a lot more Nicholas room. Durham graduated as well from the team. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So there's a lot more of a you know, room for the these kind of younger prospects who would normally be in the in the CHL to not only just play on the team, but also get more of a significant uh, role in the team and get more chances to, you know, play out there in the lineup and potentially play a special teams and all that too, which I think is another, you know, kind of key thing here. Yeah, and then, I'm sorry, I keep adding things, but uh, we'll, we see <laughs> Kakinen in the pros and then, uh, yeah, brain fart. Who's the other goalie that they didn't bring back? Uh, the golfer goalie. Oh, Robson. Yeah, Robson. He's not there. So we get to see Hunter Jones and Derek Baraboo, you know, but I'm really intrigued by uh, Hunter Jones, see how he does. Cause he was on a pretty good Peter Peterborough Pete's team in the OHL and put up some good numbers. So I'd like to see how that translates to the, the AHL. And regardless of how good or bad he plays, he will be one of the best looking goalies. His pads are sick. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen him, he's got. He kind of went with like a, it's like a forest pattern. Uh, it's got some red, some green in there. They're really sweet. I think that at one point they were on Instagram. I don't think we have a post of them, but I'll try to find that and put it on the uh, on the podcast account because there's some pretty sweet uh, uh, goalie pads. He's he's rocking there. And you know, I guess the uh, the other kind of thing that I thought of is the HL. I don't know exactly. I don't think they all have a concrete number of games they're playing because there were divisions, but. If I remember right, I think it's maximum of like 38 or 40 and minimum of 24, depending on things. And then I also believe that they're just doing like playoffs, like a division, like championship thing, right? I think. Or am I getting that wrong? Cause I feel... Honestly, I haven't looked that deep into the oh. schedule, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, th- I believe that sounds right. Yeah, because I know I'm a. I mean, I know that they weren't. A, I don't think they're going to do their usual playoffs and even have a champion. Because I mean, obviously, because of the challenges for, especially for minor league teams, you know, with the Canadian border and all that, they're just. I think, like I said, I believe they're just playing. Uh, obviously, just in division. So, I'm looking to see if I can find any potential line combinations, but the only one that I know of is the one Russo mentioned, uh, which will be, I believe, it's. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Giroux will be centering Adam Beckman and Mitchell Chafee. So okay. Ooh, I don't be. know. So we'll see. But um, one more note on the Iowa Wild. Uh, the AHL is free streaming all the games this weekend. So if you're craving some hockey, uh, you can watch the Iowa Wild. We'll uh, we'll find that link and tweet that out as well. So you have to go digging for it. But uh, I will probably be tuning in to watch this weekend. I'm excited. I don't, oh, yeah. I don't get to watch Iowa as much as I would like. Um, and as, as again, we talked about lots of our young prospects are going to be playing. So it'll be fun uh, to watch them, maybe get um, some more insight onto, onto them and maybe some, uh, maybe some ideas for our player of the week next week as well, too. 
Yeah. yeah. Another thing is, I was looking into that too. Is the AHL TV for just like your home team? Like, if you wanted to get just the Wild, um, it's like thirty-four bucks for the season. To be able to watch all the games, which isn't terrible. No, not at all. Oh, I'm also just reading uh, Elliot Friedman reporting that uh, Colorado is now in uh, full COVID protocol and have suspended their games until February 11th. Oh, so we, we added another uh, player I just saw. Yeah. I think that's actually next in our docket here uh, is COVID. Yeah. Anything else about, about the Iowa Wild before uh, we talk about COVID? No, I'm just kind of excited I'm to good. see how they, uh, how they perform after last year after you know, kind of replacing some bodies. Yeah, lots of young talent again. We'll uh, we'll find that link for you guys. Uh, but uh, the Iowa Wild will be available to watch this weekend, so be sure you tune in, uh, especially with no wild hockey, because COVID-19 has hit the locker room. And uh, as you've seen now, it's passed on to the Avs. I think the NHL is learning something they kind of thought at the beginning of the year that it really can't transmit during games. Uh, this doesn't seem to really be the case anymore. Um Blake Lazat and then Andreas Anthonisiu uh, both had it when the Wild played them, and then Felino got it, and a bunch of Wild players have it. Now it's going to the Avs. Um, I mean, I don't think we can definitively say that it that they got it from you know playing the other teams, but there definitely seems to be a trend that would make that seem likely. Uh, now the Wild, uh, I believe it's uh, Johansson, Felino, Spurgeon, Sturm, Bugstad. Yeah, and is there and- one other? I think that's I think sounds right about it. At least that we know now. Yeah, that, that are uh, tested positive for the wild. Yeah, it was uh, Bugstad, Bonino, Eck, Johansson, Virgin, and uh, Sturm. Yeah. So, like seven ish. Is that seven? Yeah, we have seven now. Yeah, seven players in the COVID list. Potential for probably maybe even one or two more here in the next couple days. Um, we'll see what happens. I believe. Because when did Felino test? Probably was it I think it was. I think it was the day. I feel like it was the day before or the day of the the second home game against Colorado. I think so Sunday. Yeah, it sounds about right. I think. Yeah, so they're saying it's about three to four days. So I think for the most part, probably should be it. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see, but there's potential for more. Um, they are their next four games. So that was tonight's game, uh, Saturday, Monday against the Coyotes, and then Tuesday against the Blues. Um. Those four for now are for sure postponed. It wouldn't surprise if that maybe extends even further. I believe it's Thursday against the Blues. Yeah. Um, and then after that, um, it's the Kings again um, coming in. I believe that's another Saturday, Monday mm. set with them. So those, I believe, are I would also think are uh, in jeopardy at this point as well. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, like you just said, uh, I think Russo said this when he was on KFN on the radio earlier, but uh, with that St. Louis game, even if they are healthy, you know, they probably wouldn't, uh, you know, make them travel in for just one game and then travel back out in just a day. So, yeah, that's, you know, that's obviously is probably going to be even, you know, another two, three, four days adding on to that week off. But, you know, I think, I think this is this kind of these issues have obviously hit at least four or five teams now. I think like recently we've heard Buffalo, New Jersey, the Islanders, and obviously Dallas and Carolina earlier. But I think, you know, the concerning thing for me that I take out of this is that, you know, they're saying that they test them each day in the morning and that they don't get the results till the next day or the next morning. And so they'll play a game that night not knowing, you know, if anyone's positive or not. And so I just think that's really concerning because obviously what seems like it happened here between the Wild and the Avalanche and also what happened 
with the, um, uh, the Buffalo Sabres and the New Jersey Devils is that they very well seems like they played games with uh, several guys on the team, you know, having uh, COVID in their system and, you know, being infected with it, which, you know, I, I guess I just don't really understand. I know they're afraid of doing the rapid tests because they're not always accurate, but uh, I, I don't really know what other choice you have at this point. Like, Yeah, and on top of that, too, I believe um, if teams do want a rapid test, they basically take out of their own pocket oh, um, to pay okay. for that, too. And I believe the Hurricanes have done that already. Um, I think it's around. On, on top of that, too, is he could be building off what you said. Uh, Bob McKenzie on NBC last night was saying, who had the COVID first? Was it Buffalo or New Jersey? I think it was New Jersey because yeah. Buffalo didn't want to play. Right, and that's, yeah. So Buffalo's players, some of them went to the players' union saying, hey, you know, we're seeing COVID spread through New Jersey and with the testing question marks, we don't want to play. And basically the, NH- the NHL told the NHLPA and the Sabres, and it's tough. And now, yeah. of course, the Sabres have a breakout too. So not a great look there on the NHL's no. part either. Um, I haven't read what they are, but there's apparently some new like in-house protocols as well. One of them I saw is taking out the glass behind the bench. <laughs> apparently improve airflow, which whether or not that's effective, I don't know. It just seems oh like gosh. they're panic reacting now, but um, Zeke, I'm with you. I think regardless of the reliability, I think maybe some more rapid testing where they don't take 24 hours is, mm-hmm. is where we're going to protect the players. Um, one thing I want to talk about, um, Zeke, you had brought this up, I believe, on a question of Michael Russo is is could they move to bubbles um, or should they? Mm-hmm. Uh, Justin, I, I gave my thoughts to Zeke and Zeke had the question. So let's get let's get your thoughts. Do you think bubbles might solve this problem? Do you think it creates more of a problem? What are your thoughts on me moving to a, to a bubble before I share my thoughts? I mean, I, I can see both sides of it. I can see them going to a bubble. I mean, it worked for the playoffs and they're playing within their vision, but – the other side of it is, is these guys, you know, they're going to be away from their families for however long. I mean, how long are the bubbles going to be? Is it going to be, you know, for the whole season? And, and are families going to be allowed in, in them? It's just kind of a tricky situation because, you know, you're going to see, you know, that that's just kind of what comes to my mind is they can make it work for the games, but what are they going to do about the family side of it? Yeah, and I think that's that's right where I fit in. I mean, as of now, I believe the season schedule, at least for the while, is to end. I believe on that. I think it's May 11th, which at this point would be, you know, February to March, March to April, April to May. That's three months. Um, these guys would be, be expected to be in a bubble. If family is there, maybe they go for it, but mm-hmm. the cost of that gets huge. Then you have the issue with, you know, kids still in school. I know some states, kids are in school. Some states are remote. Some states, it's hybrid. So how do you work around that? I don't see a situation where the players go without their families because I just yeah. I don't I don't think the players union would go for it. They'd say nope if you're gonna do that, cancel the season. Right. Um, and I think at this point, being basically already a fifth of the way into the season, and now what? I think it's mm-hmm. like I think like all but two North American teams have been affected by COVID in some way. With yeah, I think we're coming in probably on ten that have had it hit. You know, more than half the team. Which, per what we've heard, is after you have it, you have immunity for three to four months. So I think at this point, each team is just going to kind of have to go through it. I think the most long-term effect is there's a chance maybe that all teams don't end up playing 56 games. And that, mm-hmm. much like we saw with um, you know, the, the playoffs last year, is it'll be based on win percentage mm-hmm. versus uh, uh, total points. I think that's more of the long-term implications because I don't think a bubble, for where they are in the season and how far, and I, I, don't, I don't see a bubble working 
and I don't see them canceling because they've already come mm-hmm. this far. So right. I think that's more of the route I think is what is what could be more the lasting effects. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I guess you know you guys. I think me and Brad talked about this a little bit about this on Twitter already, obviously, but. You know, I was just bringing up that question because I remember, uh, you know, earlier in the offseason, Russo especially was, in a lot of his articles, he was saying that, you know, a kind of a bubble format was originally the the first plan uh, before the owners brought up issues about sponsorship money and all that. But I think, you know, the, that original plan was something like, I believe, you know, they would have, I think it was divisional or conference-based hubs or whatever. And they were kind of modified, not as strict, where they think the plan was for them to go in for like two weeks. They play like four or five games, I think, and then come out. Uh, obviously that would have been a lot easier to figure out uh, then when you were had all the time but I guess just I was only thinking that because I wouldn't be shocked if they have some sort of you know contingency plans anywhere close to that but uh, you know like like you guys just explained that's obviously not likely but I like I mean Brett Tyler's too I think it's you know maybe a potentially a possibility uh, in the playoffs if things get too bad get really bad or they just absolutely need to but uh, like you know Brett also just said with the fact that it seems like once you have COVID that uh, you might be immune for, you know, I think it was three, like you just said, three or four months after that, uh, if they get, if they get through the season with all teams playing, you know, relatively close to the 56 games or all, then, uh, you know, I, I, it obviously, I, you know, I just don't think it would be necessary, uh, you know, to go there. Like you said, it would cost a lot, but uh, I guess I just only, you know, was bringing that up because I think it's, you know, a last ditch effort if, things get absolutely ridiculous but uh, i think they would first like you said either cancel the season or even just like pause for like two or three weeks and just get everyone healthy before they even did that another thing yeah, that, that's a good sorry, yeah, i would say another thing that i thought of when he was, you guys were talking here is um could i you know we mentioned bringing up a bubble i don't think a fall season would work for the reasons i already mentioned but what if they did something like the nchc did where each team played each other like nine times. It was like a, a two week two week span or something like that, and they played nine games. And then now they're all playing in their home arenas again, but they kind of did a little a small short bubble of of just nine games each. I just I just don't think they would go for a bubble at this point. I could be wrong, but I, I think very much like Zeke said, I think in for the playoffs it very well could still be in place. Um, another thing is with the schedule crunch and points percentage, another thing that could affect that is the status of the Olympics. Obviously they're trying to, you know, condense this season to finish it before the Olympics are supposed to start. Um, I believe, which is like early July ish, um, Mm -hmm. why they've had to kind of condense and why, you know, basically some teams that have dealt with COVID are basically playing every other day from now to the end of May. Uh, That's a big part of it is they're trying to get it in before the Olympics. If they find out at some point, that the Olympics um, are going to be canceled. I think sometime soon, I wouldn't be surprised to maybe try to reconfigure uh, the schedule a little bit and maybe um, spread some games out and maybe try to get all, all 56 in uh, for sure. But that, of course, is to be determined. I don't know what the status Olympics is. I haven't really read up on it too much. But Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> I just, I guess I, I mean, maybe they have protocols. I just don't know how you can hold the Olympics now. I just, mm-hmm. I don't really see how. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll see. It, it, that'll be obviously, like you said, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. It'll be a weird two years of sports too. We won't get into it today, but another thing that could be affected um, is the NHL draft. I've seen some mm-hmm. oh yeah, varying degrees of proposals for how the draft could be very different. 
Um, so, but we won't get into that today. But uh, maybe that's something we can talk about uh, next week when we don't have a lot of news. Is mm-hmm. how the draft could be impacted uh, uh, by COVID, uh, more from a scouting perspective um, mm-hmm. and player evaluation. So, let's move into maybe some more uh, positive news now. So, obviously, like we said, mm-hmm. Wiles' next four games for sure. We're guessing probably for sure the next five um, are postponed. Uh, one thing I will bring up, I did this was tweeted on the podcast as well, but. The Wilds did have a five-game break built in um, toward the end of February. I would imagine they at least try to get one or two of those games rescheduled. I believe Arizona has like four games in those five days, so I don't think an Arizona game we made up, but maybe a game against Colorado or St. Louis. I, haven't, I didn't mm-hmm. get their schedules mm-hmm. yet, but potentially I would think they would maybe try to make up one or two games during that five-game uh, stretch, which I don't think they'll any, they'll won't have five days off anymore. They're getting that now instead. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Might be a good. Let's talk about. Oh, go ahead, Justin. I say it might be a good thing for all the injuries we have. Just something short. I thought in my head. Yeah, that that too. I was yeah, I was meant to bring that up. Yeah, with uh, injuries to Spurgeon, obviously double longer term, but we're you know it seemed to be more short term injury injuries uh, to Johansson and Spurgeon. So perhaps it gives them a chance to heal up as well, and maybe some other guys who maybe have been banged up or kind of toughing it out to to get right and get healthy. So hoping the best for all the wild players. We're hoping for. You know, no Rossi-like complications or right. anything. Um, it seems most players ha- have come back from it well, and, you know, we've seen teams like Carolina come out of it and just, you know, destroy teams. Dallas has been on a tear um, despite, you know, a, a limited <laughs> training camp and, and getting off to a, you know, getting games canceled. But it doesn't seem like it's affected those teams too much. In a way, it almost maybe seems like it's helped them a little bit, mm-hmm. um, maybe coming in a little more rested too. So we'll see how the Wild come out of it, hoping for the best, hoping for, for health, uh, obviously, that's the most important thing in all of this. You know, the the fans and the money and all of that has come second to uh, to player health. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. All right, let's talk good news. Um, I'll, I'll try to find the clip and I'll I'll maybe uh, put it in here. But at the uh, during the playoffs last year, this podcast was an anti Jordan Greenway podcast. We were very <laughs> frustrated with the way he was playing, his lack of using his big body. Um, we were all for trading him and stuff. And all of a sudden Billy Gearing gives him a two year extension. And we're like, oh, this is a good idea. Don't really like him. Well, he's basically stuck a middle finger up to us and said, Hey, watch me be great. <laughs> um, and he has been awesome. He is uh, him and Jewel Erickson are basically like, I would, I would think at this point we can, we can call them breakout seasons. I don't see any signs of them really slowing down. Um, so from this moment forward, this is now a pro Jordan Greenway podcast. Um, we love Jordan Greenway. We never doubted you. You are amazing. <laughs> work. Look, I, yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Zeke. no, you can, you can go Justin. I'll say how gladly take that middle finger and the, eat the words that we spoke about him <laughs> earlier on the podcast. It's been a, a total 180. He's, he's kind of done what we wanted Charlie Coyle to do and becoming, yep. you know, the player that uses that big frame that, it's hard to knock off the puck. He's bowling people over. People are trying to knock him off the puck, and he, they're just bouncing off of him. And you know, I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but I saw something. It was, it was when he had nine points. It was before the last game, I think. Anyways, four day, four, as of four days ago, he was second in the NHL in even strength points, like the total NHL, not like the Wild, but the full NHL. He's now tied for fourth. He got passed up by Jordan Cairo and then Dreisaitl, I believe, have an extra point in there as well. Okay. He's tied for fourth with Nikolai Ehlers. Which is pretty damn good still. 
<laughs> put the man on the yeah. goddamn power play. Yeah, holy cow. Right in front of the net. I mean, Just post him up. Like, you, no offense, Nick Bonino, but the more I watch that guy, the more I realize he's just an offensive black hole. Mm-hmm. Like, Bonino's, a, like, even his advanced stats, I think, um, I, I did kind of a, like a fun pull, and I was looking at, like, which players, you know, have been on the ice for the most high danger chances and stuff and, you know, expected goals and all these things. And basically, when Nick Bonino's on the ice, nothing happens for either team. Like, mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of scoring yeah. chances for the team. There aren't a lot against the team. Like, he's just kind of a boring, I'm just going to have really low event stuff while I'm on the ice. And they continue to put him on the power play. There's been, like, a couple times where I've watched him, like, shoot the puck, and it, like, it mm-hmm. looks like he, like, whiffs on him and, like, doesn't get him all of them. And, like, yeah. Kirill Kaprizov is trying to make plays in the power play, and he's like, I made a pass to freaking Nick Bonino. Like, what the heck? <laughs> get green the dude's six foot six. Park him in front of the net yes. and let mm-hmm. Brad Hunt crank slap shots at. Like, take the goalie's eyes away and bang home rebounds. Like, I don't do it. Yes, what what, yeah. they're, what they're doing now is not working. So try it. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. you really you, your power play cannot like physically get worse than it is right now. Like, there's it's not possible. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, you know, the other key thing when you, when you guys are saying putting Jordan Gruner in the power play, I mean, they're like him and Eck are being rewarded, you know, each time since they've been the best players, they've been out there. I mean, they started the shift in overtime with Jonas Berdin. Uh He's obviously he loves that third line so much, and they're consistently in the top lines of ice time. Like, like you guys said, it just doesn't make sense why you wouldn't want to take advantage of that player. And, you know, and even with all his size, I mean, obviously, like we said, he's – He's been showing, you know, even better playmaking skills. Like he can move, move puck decently well. He can create offense, and it, it just, you know, like you said, it just doesn't really make sense. And especially when you, I mean, I think this just goes back to bigger problem with the Wild's power play is that they just seem to like to pass it around the perimeter a lot. You know, not take a lot of shots, not you know, just get to the puck to the front of the net, and again, it's kind of create chaos. And I mean, like you guys said, uh, I don't think there's any better way to create chaos uh, than to put a guy who's 6'6", 225 pounds right in front of the goal, screening shots, you know, getting tips, whatever. So, yeah, no, it's it's for sure. But it's just great to see him respond to, you know, Bill Guerin's basically what we heard, you know, essentially challenged him in his, uh, in his you know, postseason kind of meeting with them last year. And uh, it like, like you said, we'll talk about later how that complicates other things. But, no, it's just great to see just anything to add i was gonna say this brings me back to when we were talking about like let's trade him and see what we can get for him and then we kind of thought you know you don't want him to get traded and then blow up and we've we're seeing him blow up for the right <laughs> and now i don't want anyone to touch him like protect him from yeah. expansion put him on the power play put him on the top six for now and just see what that see, see what happens give give caprice some love here Mm-hmm. and I guess there's one more thing I will add is I think this was kind of talked about a little bit before the season about Greenway but I don't remember the exact stats but I think in his limited amounts he's actually also been you know decent on the face-off circle too so I think that's another reason to support putting him like Brett said in the power play over Nick Benino is you know because obviously the reason Nick Benino's there is because he's the, one of the only ones who can win face-offs but I mean even you know even this year Jordan Greenway is uh, even his limited time has shown the ability to like you said just pretty much do anything that the team needs him to. Yeah, the play he made in over on the overtime winner in Colorado was like everything that we had criticized last mm-hmm. year, he basically did everything the exact opposite 
yeah. on that play. He drove wide with speed, put his shoulder in the defender, chipped it around him, used his reach to get around the guy, and then put a pass right on the tape to the slot for the game winner. It's like everything you should do when you're that size. Because guy, and, and, we, and I seen it multiple times this year too, he'll just cut in. And it's hard to take a puck from a guy who's mm-hmm. got, you know, who's that big and then on top of that just has the reach just to keep the puck away from you. And then he creates plays. I mean, him and Eric Sinek the other night had tons of chances in front of the net that just didn't quite go in. But it just seems like every time those two are on the ice, especially together, they're just creating havoc out in front. And then the defensive zone, there's just there's nothing coming to the middle. And like even if they are, you know, get trapped in their own zone, it doesn't really feel like other teams are mm-hmm. generating that great of chances against them either. And it's, that's just great to see. And I'm really hoping when we come back from COVID and hope from the team's healthy that we get a chance to maybe see, you know, a, a Greenway Eck um, Kaprizov line. And even mm-hmm. if they stick Johansson back there, that line did look good. The you know, the the yeah. one game we did get to see him together. <laughs> well, yep. That brings to our next thing. Get Kirill Kaprizov some better line mates. Man. Sheesh. Gosh. Like, whether it's on the power play or even strength, like this dude is like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zeke, I think you you tweeted about this the other night. We we uh we put out a video. We put out the video as well. But there was a play the other night against Colorado. I think I believe it was in the Colorado game. Mm-hmm. I think it was in the one where they may have lost five to one. Kaprizov came, came down the wing. Mm-hmm. Made a great play around the defender. Put a perfect drop pass right on the tape through his legs to Nick Bonino. Bonino completely muffed the puck. Yeah. <laughs> Colorado went the other way and about a minute later scored a goal. Yeah. It's like, like Kirill Kaprizov thinks the game at a higher level than pretty much anyone else in the roster, probably not named like Kevin Fiala or the blue line, but the blue line mm-hmm. isn't going to be jumping up into rushes all that often. And the last two games, I know there's been injuries and they've had to really jumble things around. I think they were trying to spread the wealth against the depth of the avalanche. I didn't feel like stacking the line would work. But we put this dude with, I think there was, he was stuck with Rask, who granted in two games actually played pretty well. And Victor Rask, there uh, did score two goals. But like, but like the 13th yeah. forward in a, in a basic, a career AHLer with the Calder winner is not an effective means. No. Somehow Krill's still producing, but come on. You, yeah, you saw what he can do on that power play when you get a good lineman like Parisi. That that feed and that goal was beautiful. Like we need more around mm-hmm. him. Give him some talent. And like I think uh, you know Justin just brought up that power play goal, but I was listening to Bruce on the radio today, and he brought up a good point again about that same play. As before that, I I, I kind of remember this too, but uh, Caprisa he was skating in down the wall in the corner. You know, you can tell he's he's looking for a pass, he's looking for somebody to go, and you know, you look in front of the net. There's there's no wild jerseys, no no players sitting in front of the net, and that's where Greenway would be. If yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But I mean, like Brett said, he just thinks the game on a completely different level to everyone else, and it's just incredibly infuriating to watch some of the plays that you know like like your example Benino who he was just was not ready at all for the pass and it's just like you know we've said this many times before like if you're on the ice with him you need to know that at any second when you're in the offensive zone or when he has the puck you need to be ready because you know he can stop on a dime then you know get around a guy he can spin around he can go between his legs or even other things we haven't seen yet and I mean like like Brett said I tweeted about that it's just so frustrating because yes, he he still has produced very good for a rookie considering his line mates, but it's it's just so frustrating to see the fact that 
you know, he, he hasn't been rewarded, you know, I don't think nearly enough for the amount of skill that he's shown. And, uh, you know, like you said, just hopefully that when everyone's healthy, they can get that uh, vine with uh, him, Eck and Johansson back. Cause in the, in the like half game we saw, as you said, uh, they were very good. And I think that's probably the best it's going to get for him this year in terms of line mates. Yeah. I think you said it uh, pretty, pretty, pretty well there. Um, he's driving Please. off. And again, we're hoping once they get healthy that, you know, he won't be put with mm-hmm. maybe and Rask, but Again, not to rip on those two because over the last two games they actually have played fine. But mm-hmm. like, right. put your talented players with, like, Kirill Kaprizov is producing with those guys. Imagine what he probably could be doing with even better line mates. Like that. That's right. Yep. Doing fine, yes, but that's not mm-hmm. the argument. The argument is he could be doing even better, and we have to get him. Yeah. To that point, yeah. but and like. You know, I think the only criticism people have had with him is that, you know, he needs to shoot the puck more, which is, yes, true. But at the same time, I mean, I, th- I don't know if you guys, might, you probably remember this play, but in that second Colorado game in the third period when it was 2-2, you know, he got a pass kind of at center ice and did a quick, like, full 360 spin move around the defender. You know, he came in across, came in down the boards, did like a half fake slap shot to get the goalie to kind of move and then curled to the side and just wired one right off the inside of the post. And it's like, man, he's just... I mean, we we say it every, literally every five minutes of this show, but uh, it's it's just great. And to be honest, that's kind of one of my biggest disappointments with the season being paused now is we don't get to see him play for another week at least. <laughs> it's we, torture for sure. We have had to be so patient with Kaprizov between five years and beyond. Like <laughs> <laughs> we wait five years and then he's here, and then COVID hits. And <laughs> now we got to find like, one for him. But we get a period where. You know, Kaprizov's elevated to play with Johansson and Erickson Eck. He's, you know, then they, they score a goal and then Kevin Fiala scores. And it's like, oh, Kirill Kaprizov, Kevin Fiala scoring in the same period. And then mm-hmm. because we can't have nice things like the next period, Kevin Fiala suspended. And then a bunch of injuries <laughs> happen. It's like, well, we had something really fun. <laughs> Half a game. Yeah. Like, just let us have nice things for like just a little bit longer. So hopefully after COVID here, we'll, uh, We'll see some. It'll be worth the wait. That, that's what we're hoping for. But uh, moving on, so uh, Justin, you had brought this up a little bit ago about you know a shift to maybe where you really originally thought maybe Jordan Greenway was you know expendable in expansion. I think that's maybe flipped a little bit. Where now you think you have to protect him, which really complicates expansion now because. The way it sits right now, if you want to protect Dumba or not, um, like as I've mentioned, from what I've watched and what the analytics show, Dumba has been the Wild's best defender through the games that he's played so far. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the defensive numbers aren't great, but he's back to driving offense in that elite way that we saw when he put up whatever it was his when he was on pace to basically yeah, yeah. have a top ten goal scoring season by a defenseman of all time which in this era is even more impressive. Um, and, you know, I've, I've heard it thrown up now that, I think even by Russo, that, um, you know, the Wild might leave both Dumba and Susie unprotected um, and make them, you know, do they want a puck-moving defenseman mm-hmm. with contract control? Or, you know, to protect Greenway, do you get a Parisi or a Suter or Zuccarello to maybe waive their no-movement clause to make things easier? It's be, what seemed like a really simple, okay, they're going to go eight 
eight skaters and protect Dumba or they're going to trade Dumba. It's a whole different conversation now in my mind because of the, the season that, that Greenway's had and yeah. and kind of you know the continued emergence of Carson Soucy as well. Yeah, I mean, when we first started this pod, I would have said, <laughs> let Greenway be exposed, let you know, Susie be exposed, even though I love Susie. Now it's, I mean, Susie will probably still be exposed, but it's like, like you said, they're they're playing really good. And like, you've got to find a way to protect you. I mean, in my opinion, your youngest, best players. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you already mentioned it, but try to get some of these guys to move, uh, waive their no move clause. It's, you know, I, I don't envy. <laughs> Bill Guerin in terms of deciding what he has to do. Yeah, and I think uh, kind of the point there is obviously what was interesting with kind of related with the Marcus Foligno extension that he signed, but right before the season is that it seemed that the holdup reportedly was that, you know, his agent was saying, hey, don't uh, don't sign an extension there until you know or have, you know, some assurance or some idea that you won't be exposed and potentially taken by Seattle in the expansion draft. And while he doesn't have any no move, no trade protection, and, you know, they obviously... We, we have no idea. They haven't guaranteed, but Bill Guerin did say uh, we didn't sign him uh, just to lose him. So I uh-huh. think that's an interesting wrinkle to see oh, yeah. whether he's protected because, which also leads me to believe that, you know, obviously with Eck and Greenway playing as good as they were, I don't think, you know, Bill Guerin is going to want to lose either of those two guys. So maybe he already has an idea of whether a guy like Zuccarello would maybe wave or maybe he doesn't. I don't know, but that's definitely interesting. And I think the key thing with Dumba here is that, you know, I think ideally, if, you, if you're going to expose him and you think he might be taken, I think you would try to trade him, and, you know, just see what the best offers are out there. But I also think, too, that if you leave him exposed and he does get taken by Seattle, while that would hurt, obviously, I mean, like Brett said, he's been very good this year and has always been a great offensive defenseman. I think, I mean, when you look, especially in the, this day is the day and age with the salary cap and everything, when you look at his $6 million salary, I think, yes, you'd be losing the player technically for nothing. But I think, you know, it, obviously, again, it would hurt. But I think, uh, you know, if that $6 million salary was taken off your books, the expansion draft either, I don't think that would be the, you know, absolute. Uh, that would be a little bit of a consolation prize, I guess, for losing him if that's what happens. I think for me, it's hard to lose him for nothing. Like, you know, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I feel like we could get get something decent back for him, but like you said, maybe that that extra money we save, we're able to find someone that that could help the team, like a center somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. but like I know he's nowhere along the lines of Gabrick, but ever since like we lost Gabrick for nothing, I'm like trying to get something <laughs> for like our best players. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it certainly seems kind of reading between the lines that. Either one, Garen has an inkling that, you know, Parisi or Zuccarello will wave. And honestly, at this point, with now you add the 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 addition of, you know, Zuccarello with injury history now, mm-hmm. I don't think Seattle would take him, mm-hmm. um, especially if there's someone like Susie available. I think that's a no-brainer that you take the younger defenseman over the aging, injury-prone, at best second-line playmaking winger late in his 30s. Um, or that he has a plan to move Dumba to get to seven and three. I, I don't think I don't think Garen in his mind is going the eight skater route. I think just yeah. reading between the lines. But how that unfolds heading into the deadline will be interesting. Um, and two is that you know we have you know with with the deadline now you have quarantining issues and stuff. You have the injury to Dumba, which is expected to be long term. 
how does that affect his trade value as well? You know, sure. you know, when a value that appeared to be rising quickly with with his good start, does that take a hit now due to injury? Does he get you know back in enough games to really you know keep that value up as he come back you know off that injury again? Not the same. I think that that the injury really complicates mm-hmm. things even further for me too. Um, and I don't I don't know the rules offhand too, but I think if if that injury persists. Um, into expansion, it might even affect whether or not they can expose him to um, as well. So, mm. lots of added wrinkles yeah. to to the trade deadline to expansion um, around Dumbo. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep tabs on that, but definitely something to keep thinking about as we progress um, towards. I believe it's April twelfth, which is the best day of the year, by the way. Um, it's my birthday, um, <laughs> but also I believe is the date of the trade deadline. So keep an eye on that. Be a good day. Too, too it will be. I love it. Hopefully, I'm not optimistic because like normal trade deadlines are usually pretty boring. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing COVID trade deadline is going to be even more boring. I would imagine a lot more things get done before then. Yeah. So it's going to have those guys sooner rather than later, especially if there's um, international trades where it's a U.S. player going to a Canadian team and, and vice versa just because mm. of the quarantining rules, which to my knowledge – They've tried to get stuff way, but it doesn't feel like the Canadian government is budging on that. And considering that Canadian teams haven't had any COVID issues yet, I'm assuming the Canadian government be like, hey, what we're doing is working. We're not going to change it. So, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else to add about uh, deadline or expansion, Dumba, anything along those? Or should we move into our uh, players of the week? No, I just think, uh, you know, like you said, it just sucks that he got hurt right now as he's playing well, you know, kind of like he did two years ago. And, you know, he just, I just hope that, you know, he's doing okay and good spirits and hopefully he can, you know, come back and still play a decent uh, amount of the season with the team. And he's still been in Krill's number one fan too. He had Kaprizov scored. He posted like <laughs> an all-time picture of Kirill Kaprizov smiling with a dog. And if that just doesn't bring you serotonin, I don't know what does, but. Yep. <laughs> I think that's the thing that complicates trading Dumbo even more because it that guy seems like not only is he an unbelievable voice in the community, but he just seems like he is just the utmost amazing teammate ever. Mm-hmm. Like just the ultimate hype man. Like guys seem to love that dude. So Yeah, for sure. Hoping the best for Dumbo. Mm-hmm. All right. Players of the week here to close out the show. Uh, I don't know whose turn it is to go first. Either of you guys want to go first through amateur, we'll just we'll just go on a whim here. I can, uh, okay, I can go. Okay, so for my uh, so wait, are we going pro or amateur first? We'll go amateurs first. Okay, so uh, for my amateur week, uh, we've talked a little bit about this guy, but not really in fall. So I just kind of want to give him a shout out. But uh, like we said earlier, he's currently one of the leading fan vote uh, guys in the Hobie Baker race. But it is University of Minnesota goaltender Jack Lafontaine, who was a I believe a 2016 third round pick by the Carolina Hurricanes and had a wasn't great at Michigan, went back to the BCHL and has been was had a solid first year with the Gophers and this year in sixteen games played with the team. He has a one point three eight goals against and a nine four eight save percentage. Obviously very good. Uh you know, I mean I, I don't watch a ton of gopher games, but from what I've seen that uh, he's also a great teammate. Uh like a you know, I've you know, I've heard a lot of things great things about him. He's been a great player and I guess I just thought it'd be a you know good idea to give another kind of local player a Shout out to who's been having, obviously, a fantastic season on one of the best uh, college hockey teams in the country. For sure. More uh, more goalie love on this. Yeah. We, we, we love yeah. our, uh, we love yeah. goalies here. We're a pro we do. podcast. We are. For sure. 
Yeah, and I think LaFontaine is, I mean, there's a lot of really great goaltenders that could be in that Hobie Baker conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, LaFontaine, yeah. Spencer Knight, we touched on Dryden McKay last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's going to be really tough with, with no cross-conference play to really choose a, a Hobie yeah. Baker winner, especially, oh, yeah. I think, for goaltending, because you just don't know, like, well, they're, you know, the Big Ten isn't as strong as it was. I, the, you know, the WCHA outside of maybe three teams is pretty much garbage. Mm-hmm. NCHC is always strong. Hockey's, I don't know. It's, it. I'm not. I don't envy anyone who has to vote on awards, whether it's at the college or pro level, because the NHL is going to be just as difficult um, mm-hmm. to pick winners for awards and stuff as well, just because you don't have data that can go across divisions and stuff. So, all right. So Jack LaFontaine is Zeke's amateur of the week. Uh, I I can go next here. Um, mine is a guy we talked about a little bit earlier on in the show, and it's Alexander Havanov of AK Bars in the KHL, a wild third rounder uh, from the Chuck or from the uh, Paul Fenton era. He has two assists in three games played over the last week. Points in his last five of his six games, where he has seven points, two goals, five assists in that span. He's really starting to kind of heat up and, and find his rhythm. Uh, he's second on the team with twenty three points in twenty six games. Um, and you could basically call him the point leader at this point. The leader has 31 points, but he's played 20 more games and just eight more points. He got 31 and 46. And then uh, one little uh, blurb, which was probably one of the more surprising parts of Scott Wheeler's prospect rankings was um, that he still had Havanov at four, who had fallen a little bit in mind, but uh-huh. Scott mm-hmm. still thinks very highly of him. So Alexander Havanov was fourth uh, behind the, the, the big three, as we'll call him, which I'm sure you can guess who those are, um, okay, unless you live under a rock. But Havanov um, <laughs> will be my amateur of the week, and it's really good to see him bounce back. You know, some you know wasn't really given opportunity in the KHL, but has really excelled um, in the VHL, which is basically the KHL's equivalent uh, of the AHL. So Havanov is mine. Excellent. Which means Justin, uh, our third one of the week goes to you. All right, for my amateur, I'm going goalie. We love our goalies. Um, I talked about him a little bit at the beginning of the show, but <clears throat> Philip Lindbergh of the University of Massachusetts, you know, kind of I, I mentioned earlier, but he missed eleven games and he's now started four in a row and has been really good. In those four games, he's gotten two shutouts. In the other games he's played, he's allowed two goals total, so he's two zero and two with a point five goals against average and a point nine seven nine save percent in those four games. Um, for the season, he's two one and three with a one point five goals against average and a point nine three nine save percentage, and just seems to be you know taking advantage of the starts that he gets. And you know next year we'll we'll see him as the main starter at Massachusetts. So, yep, he's he's having a really good season again. Okay. Optimism more in the Wilds goalie pipeline. He is a little bit undersized. Mm-hmm. I think is kind of I think he's only like six two, which. Being someone that's five six, when you say someone has undersized and they're six two, I just kind of giggle <laughs> yeah. because I'm like, I wish I was six inches taller. Right. <laughs> but I mean, you just, goalies are just mountains in the NHL now. It's like if you're yeah. under like six four, you're considered small, which mm-hmm. is just nuts to me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Awkward tangent, but Zeke, we'll go to pros now. Uh, who is your state of hockey uh, pro of the week? Okay, well, my uh, State of Hockey Pro of the Week is another former gopher, but uh, this time I'm going to go with uh, Toronto Maple Police forward Travis Boyd, who has only played in tonight was his third game of the season, but 
Uh, before tonight, he had a goal and assist for two points, and tonight he had uh, two assists on two of the Maple Leafs goals and is now up to a goal, three assists, and four points in the three games he's played. Uh, like I said, he's a former golfer who played around in the Washington Capitals organization for the last three years and has been more, I think he's been solid in three games, but he's been mostly a depth piece for Toronto. But uh, another guy who has been, you know, putting up a surprising amount of points in his uh, limited uh, ice time earlier this season. So that's uh, also pretty good to see too. A very well-liked player in the analytics community as well. He was a guy mm-hmm. that, like you said, is kind of a depth guy, but when he plays always seems to be effective. So, Oh, yeah. Sure. Just, uh, you know, former state of hockey guys just doing things in the biggest hockey markets in the world. No big deal. Yeah, <laughs> just, just doing what they do. All right. And- well, I'm keeping with the theme of this week's show. This is a pro Jordan Greenway podcast. So naturally, my pro of the week is Jordan Greenway. Uh, three assists in his last four games. Uh, he's got a .73 average game score, which I think... It's like I want to say it's like third on the team behind Kaprizov and somehow Victor Rask, um, as we mentioned earlier as well. Uh, even tied for fourth and even strength points in the NHL, uh, only behind Nikolai Ehlers, Connor McDavid, Leon Draisaitl, and newcomer Jordan Cairo, who is absolutely breaking out in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, what he's done! But pretty good company to be in uh, when you're. Anytime you have a stat that's related to McDavid and Draisaitl, that's not. On the defensive side of the puck, you're doing something right. Um, and, and Jordan Greenway has been awesome at even strength for the Wild. And as we mentioned as well, just it's been really great to see him respond. Um, he's looked excellent. He's looked motivated. He's using his size. Um, and something, too, as I believe he like he, he cut a ton of weight in the offseason, like fat. He came into the season, I think, like 9% body fat, which is like extremely lean and muscular, which to be 6'6", 225, and have that be mostly muscle is just awesome. So. Yeah. Glad to see our boy Jordan Greenway hopefully taking the steps to become the player we uh, we, we thought he could be. So he is my sure. of the week, which leaves us with our final one. Uh, over to you. Uh, uh, my guy is from Plymouth, former golfer as well. Cringe. Sorry, golfers fans. Um, <laughs> golfer fans will be loving this show. We've talked a lot about him today. Yeah. Well, going to have to show some Bulldog love next week or something. But anyways, <laughs> I'm going with uh, Blake Wheeler, the Winnipeg Jets. He had a three assists, three assists effort versus Calgary on Monday and now has 11 points in 10 games. I didn't get to see what the criticism was, but apparently he's faced some criticism in the media up in Winnipeg. And Defense. Long story short, he's having a hell of a season again. Um, you know, he continues to have really good, good seasons. He's an assist machine and, you know, has had a couple of 90-point seasons with the Jets. Just really good player that, you know, type of player you'd, I want to see the wild have eventually. Yeah. His criticism has been his like defensive play. He's been like one of the worst five on five defenders. And then, mm-hmm. then the, you know, there oh, was the, there was some more drama today. Paul Maurice basically gosh. said F you to, you know, the, I don't even remember the, the phrasing he used, but like the mm-hmm. casual, like analytics people or something. And yeah. but our data oh, shows this and, it's an interesting discussion, but uh, production is production. At the end of the day, goals win games, and Wheeler so far is contributing to that, like, yeah. like you said, Justin. So we only talk positive here, so we're going to focus on uh, the production from Wheeler, um, who, of course, scored probably, whether or not you were a, a Gopher fan or not, you probably uh, know about the goal that Blake Wheeler scored against North Dakota, oh, yeah. one of probably the most famous goals in Minnesota hockey history. So, mm-hmm. All right. 
Uh, that pretty much does it for what uh, we have on the docket here. Guys, any uh, parting thoughts before we sign off uh, for today's show? Yeah, I guess just uh, you know one more thought, kind of bouncing off my last thought last week. But uh, from what I could tell, uh, there wasn't a ton of you know Twitter wars, which is good between Wild and Avalanche fans of the last week. Except but your I, broadcasting team, yeah, which, which is what I'm going to get into. But <laughs> I just want to make a comment that Kyle Keith, buddy, Altitude TV commentators, will you please get over the Matt Cook Tyson Berry stuff, please? It was seven years ago. I mean, like. It, it was yeah, it was a bad play. We all know Matt Cook has, was always a dirty player. Like but no one here likes was, Matt Cook anyway. We didn't like him. I know. Before he yeah, was here. we didn't. didn't like him when he was here. Mm, yeah, and it's not like he was. See, he wasn't even like you know some great player. Obviously, when he was even with the Wilder, you know. Anyway, so I just don't get why they're still still salty about that. I mean, that series was seven years ago. Matt Cook hasn't played for the Wild in six years. There's like a total like five or six combined players in the two teams who still play for them. It's like, come on, man, just just really get over it. Because I, I was watching a clip on the Altitude TV account where he said, well, you know, to his other guys, well, you know, I don't like the Minnesota Wild because of Matt Cook. And it's like, oh, boy. And then he had another tweet where he said he responded to a guy, a Wild fan who had, you know, basically told him, hey, dude, stop crying, being a crying homer on the broadcast, which I was like, OK, you maybe don't need to go after him on Twitter. But he went and goes, typical Wild fan, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, my God, like. I get, you know, you work for the team, but I think there's a line between being like just a whining homer. Like, come on, man, just stop, please get over it. It was seven years ago. Just please. So tired. We should send the guys some cheese to have with his wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, oh, I mean, I was laughing when I was watching it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It was funny, but. Yeah. Just... I didn't see the clip too, but apparently they were, uh, they called the row hit on Byram dirty, and they, oh, and they thought five foot nine Brad Hunt was trying to <laughs> shot Nico Ransom. <laughs> oh my god! It's fucking Brad Hunt! <laughs> I know. Come on, oh, Jesus! Like, yeah, it, I think it looked a lot worse than it really was. Like Ranton kind of like tried to jump mm-hmm. around him, and I think Hunt just kind of like got him on the hip a little bit. Like it probably could have been a penalty, but like to even mm-hmm. suggest that it was dirty for yeah. one, no, and then to the row hit like. If you're a mobile defenseman and you turn up ice off balance, keep your head up. Yeah. Okay. I watched the hit over and over, slow motion. Rao put his hands right to his chest and just pushed him into the boards. And then JT Comfort had to go psychopath. Mm-hmm. And like, Avs fans too were like complaining, like, oh, it shouldn't have been a penalty on Comfort. It's like, you can't jump a guy for a clean yeah. hit. <laughs> yeah. You can't jump like, a right clean hit. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. Like, Kael McCarr is an awesome player. I love watching him play. I, I like watching the Avs largely in part to kill McCarr because he's fun to watch but keep your head up dude like yeah he's whatever still 19 20 years old he's got to learn the hard way that you got to keep your head up you know mm-hmm. as shifty as you are sometimes you know despite how many wild ankles he broke um in three mm-hmm. games he, he did get his bell rung by Rao yeah. on that uh on that one play and then and then my other favorite thing from Avs fans is and like just like people who don't like the wild in general is calling us the Minnesota mild Oh God! Like oh, none gosh. of us take that offensive. Like I just I remember, ah, real original. Like I know. Well. It's, like they yeah, it's come up with anything else to say. <laughs> like at least our logo doesn't look like the poop emoji. Yeah, at least we, we, we don't. Oh, that's so hilarious. <laughs> at least we don't play in ball arena. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 oh gosh, yeah. It's jars. Congratulations. Yeah, wow. Well, you know, I'm since I saw that thing, I'm gonna go out, go online and buy a bunch of jars. Man, I just. Just need some jars. 
I still think Exo Energy Center is one of the coolest arena names in sports. It's just got yeah. a real nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. It does. <laughs> All right. I think we're going okay, to well, yeah, That'll do it for today's show. Uh, before we sign off, uh, Zeke, where can everyone find you and your work? Well, you can find me on Twitter, as always, at uh, ZBWildNation underscore HW. And you can also find uh, all uh, my writing and other work at uh, HockeyWilderness.com. And Justin, what about you? Uh, you can find me at, at DEast2004. You can find me at CapriceFC with the CapriceF Countdown. And you can find me at MNW Prospects with uh, Wild Prospects and Young Players. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at B underscore Marsh 92. Be sure you're following the podcast on Twitter as well at Sound the Foghorn. We recently hit 600 on there, so thank you for following along. Um, we found the, the cheat code to gaining followers. It's just tweet about Capri Sop. It works. But, um, <laughs> sharing our secret with you. So if you want more Twitter followers, just tweet about Capri Sop. Um, <laughs> and we're also on Instagram uh, at Sound the Foghorn as well. That'll do it for today's show. Back next week. Don't know what we're going to be talking about with no hockey um, from now until then. So, uh, But we'll come with something ready. We'll still be recording next week, so don't worry. We'll be back. So this has been another episode of Sound the Fox.